Kelly, KTP here, queer, Kitty here, queer, or as we say sometimes in English, how are you, where are you? <laughs> I'm really happy actually, and I'm here in the historic Cadrona Hotel, which is an iconic pub um, situated between Queenstown and Wanaka in the Cadrona Valley. Um, and I'm sitting here having a lovely glass of Central Otago Pinot Noir. Um, Jeez, your night's pretty miserable, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, we arrived here before it began raining, which is like a cycle touring fairy tale. And we're staying the night here at the Cadrona Hotel, so it's um, it's a touch of luxury this evening. Welcome to the How Are You, Where Are You podcast. This is an audio travelogue of our adventures by bike. So we've bored you to tears and cured your insomnia with 40 podcasts. That's a lot of talking, right? <laughs> so this has been following our journey from London, England. And the end is now in sight because the Hutt Valley of New Zealand is on the horizon at the end of this very month. In breaking news, after three and a half weeks of cycling in New Zealand, we're right back where we started. Uh, We started in, uh, well, we flew into Queenstown on, what, the 13th of March, I think it is. And uh, my mum and Ashley came to meet us and they took us up here to the Cadrona Hotel in the car. And so now we're here on the bike, three and a half weeks later so um it's a uh, kind of silly really but it's been pretty awesome because we've been cycling all around southland and southern otago and now central otago again yeah yeah so can we go north yet yeah we're heading north from here so it's it's kind of all north in our plans uh, there might be a few sort of jinks and crosses across the country to go yet yeah so we're having a, a nice relaxing time and um you, you may, if you're a follower of the podcast, have uh, heard our podcast, the last episode that featured Nick Armstrong, um, cycle touring expert, uh, winner of the tour of Aotearoa. Am I right, Nick? Uh, not in the least, but uh, thank you for the generous uh, introduction yet again. So how are you finding the Cadrona Hotel this evening? Um, extremely stoked. Uh, we had a bit of a hard climb which I didn't want to do again because I had done it once, but you guys lured me here with the uh, prospect of accommodation and beer, two things that I absolutely hate, but somehow (laughs) fought my way to uh, get acclimated to. It's pretty cool, actually, because Nick's sharing the honeymoon suite with us here at the Cadrona Hotel. (laughs) (laughs) This is is kind of um, uh, uh, the most photographed pub in... New Zealand is, is what they sort of say about it and it's it's um, really recognizable and mostly most of its reputation comes from the Spates commercials which is a New Zealand beer. Yeah yeah so it's quite iconic really because of that ad probably that's probably why most people would know it but it's also been around for a heck of a long time and uh, and what's the other thing that's iconic is the the picture it's kind of got this rustic fronting with Cadrona Hotel they parked this old time a car out the front and um, especially when it's snowing, which the bar lady just told me, she reckons it'll be snowing here in three weeks' time. Yeah, and so that's when they're, um, the next part of the season for them all ramps up. It's actually a quiet night here at the Cadrona Hotel tonight. As Nick mentioned, to get here, we had to pedal over the Crown Range from Arrowtown, and what a ride it was. We are at the top of our first big Alpine Pass in New Zealand. Woohoo! 
Woohoo! Woo at the top of the Crown Range. And this is the highest sealed road pass in New Zealand. Uh, the road was only sealed in the year 2000. Oh. Um, and before that, the first, they, the first dude to climb it was in the gold rush times of 1862. But um, it's pretty awesome to be up here. It's only 1,076. Yeah, you know, we've climbed bigger road passes than this before. But this is particularly cool. It's kind of the alpine-like, or it's way alpine-like, considering that I'm as cold as I was at 4,000 meters, even though we're at 1,700 or something like that. Well, no, 1,070. So, um, Shelley, how do you feel to be up here? Well, I feel um, quite, I think there's a lot of adrenaline and endorphins in my body right now, and we're also having a beer. So it just, I feel quite emotional. And on the way up, I was thinking about some of my friends and like imagining them urging me on because it was really steep, really tough. Wind straight in our faces or blowing us, like crosswind blowing us into the road. Um, and, you know, I don't know, like, I don't know how many kilometers it's been or how long it's taken us, but the very last bit was really tough. And I was thinking of the Lodestar girls and I was thinking of my friends from my cycling support group and I was thinking about my sister and just imagining those guys like willing me onwards to do it. And so at the top, it felt quite special. Yeah, there were some pretty steep pitches there and the wind was kind of blowing us into the side of the road. And But there was plenty of encouragement from the vans as well. Joining us here on <laughs> Crown Range, Nick Armstrong. Now, Mr. Masochistic, you, <laughs> you've done this for the, this is your second time. And you thought, well, I came around the other way. I got to do it. I got to do it the other way now. Yeah, um, pretty much because you guys bribed me with accommodations and, <laughs> and beer. I really didn't want to do that again. But it is it is beautiful. And, uh, you know, it's such a treat to do it with you guys. Aww. And uh, pretty stoked that we met up in Aerotown. Well, we hardly saw you. I mean, you kind of burned us off with your lightweight bike, <laughs> mostly up the climb. The good thing was that Nick performed the role of official Shelley and Bainham photographer. So that was that was really handy. Yeah, Thank that, you. That was very special. And there's some other symmetries because um, on our first day in New Zealand, Mum and Ashley drove us up here mm -hmm. and you know, we saw these peaks you know, around us, Coronet Peak, the Remarkables. We can see Gibston Valley down there. And uh, we didn't know what any of this was. Mm. And now we've spent uh, almost a month cycling around and we, we kind of know the lay of the land down there, which kind of makes it cool, right? Yeah, it's nice to see some familiar places again from up here. And, and you kind of, I think, I, I mean, personally, I appreciate it more, obviously, having earned it with a bike and knowing it a little bit more what I'm looking at out here. The view's incredible. Okay, I've got a plan. All right. We head down to the Cadrona pub. And we drink beer, perhaps for the rest of the afternoon and longer to the evening. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. okay. Sure, sure. I'm interested. <laughs> I mean, beer. Uh, my my friends know I don't like beer, but I <laughs> guess I'll make an exception. <laughs> okay. Bad time it is. On the way up, we um. We got quite a lot of encouragement from, from people driving camper vans and I think the locals just see so many cycle tourists riding up the Crown Range. Um, they didn't really pay much attention but all of the tourists were waving and a couple of people even cheered out the window and yeah, it was, it was nice and it, it made kind of a nice change really, didn't it? Because um, we've not experienced so much friendliness on the road here in New Zealand. Yeah, it was also nice to see them waving and then not veering onto our side of the road. It was kind of useful. But, uh, yes, the drivers in New Zealand, dudes, what's going on? You're not that great at it. You, um, yeah, maybe we're just not that great at drivers. Uh, you talk to a lot of locals and they blame the tourists. 
they say, oh yeah, no, especially in this part of the world. No, and that is true. There have been a lot of crashes involving tourists doing stupid things like, you know, driving down the Crown Range, for example, and going, oh yeah, it's really nice out the window. Uh, I'll keep driving and I'll try and uh, take a photo off with my cell phone at the same time. Then while they're trying to handle all that, they're veering on the other side of the road and crashing into other cars or, you know, or, or lucky not to get into accidents. So um, there is that. But also, I think drivers here tend to, in our experience of cycling so far, they treat the roads like racetracks. You know, drivers come zooming past us, and, um, you know, yeah, there are a lot that give us a bit of space and go wide around us. But if a car's coming the other way, they just shoot straight, straight through, and they don't care how close they, that, that they pass. Like, in the road code, I think it's probably the same here as it is in the UK, that you've got to give a cyclist at least one and a half metres. But it's not often, it feels, that that is um, obeyed. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, in my, what is it, three and a half weeks, we, some, a lot of cars do give us a lot of room. My, my issue is with truck drivers. Um, some of them, and particularly we've noticed the ones carrying livestock and milk, like the dairy, dairy trucks, they come so close. And we had a really bad time um, when we were Bluff. leaving, yeah, when we were on our way to Bluff. And again, when we were leaving where? Belclutha, wasn't it? Belclutha, yeah. We rolled out of State Highway 1 after talking to you guys on the podcast last time and on the way to Gore. And um, the the sheep trucks and the dairy tankers were like ruthless, just going so close. And, you know, maybe 5 or 10k down the road, we got a bit too freaked out. And so we... um, we went off, we turned left and went down some back roads, gravel tracks to try and all avoid it. I, I thought that road in particular was really dangerous for cyclists and didn't need to be. It's a nice wide road, you know, there's, there's a, you know, you can get a good view down it and, you know, just slow down if you're coming up behind a cyclist, you know, if, if there's cars coming the other way especially. It's just really surprising that we were spoilt in South Amer- Central and South America because we just didn't really have these issues with with the truck drivers they gave us plenty of space they'd give you a wave it was it was quite a, a different culture and maybe it's because in this touristy area of New Zealand there are so many cyclists on the road that people are over it I don't know but Nick you kind of when we mentioned to you before about being a bit worried about the drivers you were sort of like well they're not that bad yeah being from uh, Southern California um I didn't find any of the drivers to be that bad. As you said, some of the larger trucks definitely come pretty close. Um, but I find that drivers by and by give you a pretty good amount of room. You can usually tell who's a cyclist when they're driving because like normal people will give you just a, a slight amount of room. Well, actually, you can tell. So tourists won't give you any room. Uh, locals will give you a slight amount of room. And then anybody who's a cyclist and passing you goes to the complete other side of the road (laughs) and it's just awesome because you're like oh they get it because i hate getting the wind wash and getting thrown around especially with all the you know our bikes are very much loaded down they'll catch any wind and kind of throw you off the road you kind of got to tighten up it's one of those pucker moments where you're like oh shoot am i gonna die this time but so in in like california do the drivers they don't like give anyone any space or you feel a little in danger on the road um well in california it's just one big rat race for the most part especially southern california so everyone's in such a rush they're driving fast 
They don't care that you're a cyclist. They don't think you belong on the road, and so they don't share it. That, that sounds like London as well, but t- the culture is starting to change slowly, but surely it is starting to change. And no, we've seen these signs on the side of the road here, share the road, and no, with this campaign as well. I'm a mum. I'm a big brother. I'm a favourite daughter. I'm a nurse. I'm the keeper of the secret to making the perfect custard square. I'm a fan of the Beatles and just quietly of Michael Bublé. I'm a Silver Fern supporter and a mean as goalkeeper. And on weekdays, I'm a cyclist. See the person and share the road. Kind of cheesy, but the the idea is right. You know that um, I think that if you're in a rush to get somewhere and you're going to be delayed behind a cyclist for five seconds, you can get really infuriated. So it's important to remember that. They're just people out there enjoying recreation on your roads. And New Zealand is such a wonderful place to cycle that, um, you know, we've met a lot of tourists who've been cycling here and haven't had great experiences with the drivers. And I feel really bad about that and a little bit ashamed that we, we don't give cyclists a warmer welcome here. Well, and also they're looking at you, North Islanders, if you're listening from the North Island of New Zealand. Everyone says North Island, it's the roads are rubbish. South Island, it's a lot more relaxed. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what it's like when we get home. And I've just been looking at the road code, and you're actually allowed to cycle to abreast here. People get so shirty when you um, are cycling to abreast. But if you just imagine, like, do you like talking to you to you to your front seat passenger when you're driving your car? Yeah. Well, sometimes we like to talk to the guy, guys that we're riding with. And yeah, it says in the road code that you should be going single file round corners, and I think most cyclists respect that. But you shouldn't get, you know, shirty with bloody riding two abreast on the road. That's fully allowed in the road code. So you've got to treat us like a normal vehicle, slow if it's not safe to pass, and then, uh, and then pass safely when you do. We've arrived today in the historic gold mining town of Arrowtown. And uh, in the 1860s, at the height of the gold rush in New Zealand, this was a bit of place where you know, uh, all these Chinese and European immigrants would come sort of searching for gold in the Arrow River nearby. And uh, at the time of the gold rushes, the population of this little town here swelled to 7,000. But now about 2,000 people live here, and that's only because they built like a couple of flash golf courses up the road and, um, and made made it for nice for rich people and when you come down the street here there's all these remnants of gold you no know, trying to sell it as a gold town but really they're just trying to sell you uh, gold jewelry and uh, or you can come and pick up a pan and go down the river and pretend that you're going to find gold when you the gold's all taken out basically but th- this whole this whole region through central otago was where all the gold rush happened and we've been cycling through it the last few days haven't we shell yeah so we we saw the um stood above the beach where they first found gold these two guys hartley and riley in 1862 during the winter they went down there we're not really sure why but they found something like 40 kilograms of gold in two months from this um from the banks of the clutha river um and then word got out and every man and his dog was heading down to New Zealand to make their fortune and it just went crazy and we've had like a lot of different gold rushes in New Zealand um, I think Marlborough there was one and so all around the country people have found gold but here there are all these old gold mining towns and um, they all got abandoned in the 60s so they didn't really get uh, upgraded 
And then when they were rediscovered for tourism, all the old buildings were still here. So they're quite quaint and everything else. But um, we also saw an old dredge in the, in the Clutha River, which they used to sort of filter the water and look for tiny flakes of gold. And it had sort of sunk in the middle of the river. Um, what else did we see? Well, we actually met a gold prospector. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so when we were staying with Farmer Jack, uh, this bloke turned up and he had just been up the mountains behind uh, in Farmer Jack's place, dredging out a creek. Um, and he went through quite a um, process in order to do that. Like he bought a prospecting license of Trade Me, and then he had to negotiate with Farmer Jack to be able to do it on his property and then register his gold claim with a, um, a government agency called Crown Minerals and he was up there all weekend and found basically Jack. <laughs> so um, yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's quite interesting that people still think that you can make some money uh, and that there are still gold in them there hills. Well, I heard Farmer Jack telling a story about someone who found a little chunk of gold stuck in a little niche under a rock shelf or something so it yeah. is there and they go up with metal detectors and um, I think it's it's still possible it's just yeah all the e easy pickings are gone um, but I think you've well you've got some gold. Yeah so not many people do come to Arrowtown and find gold but I think luck favours the cycle tourist in many ways and so in Arrowtown I've actually found a little bit of gold. Um, it's a whole bar. A whole bar of gold yeah and yeah, a lot of New Zealanders, you know, wish they could sort of get hold of this right now. It's kind of got crunchy wrapping around it, and uh, it's, it's the Crunchy Bar. And the Crunchy Bar was actually one of the first gold finds in 1860. Um, so when they first went digging there on the banks of the Upper Clutha, they found a Crunchy Bar. And, uh, and then they just kept digging, and then they found, like, the metal gold. So, uh, so it's a historic candy bar, basically. It's a, it's a very historic candy bar, and it just they've been enjoying it for yeah, well, well over 200, almost 200 years now. So um, it's pretty important. So I'm going to open it and just really inspect the gold. Wow, this is an exciting moment for you, Baden. Yeah. Well, I, ha it's, I haven't had this since I've been in New Zealand. So everyone who comes to New Zealand, you can try and find these, um, these gold bars in service stations and places like that. I can't wait to see the shining gold within. Yeah, it's going to be pretty crunchy. It's got a, it's just, you can see the dirt is still on it. Oh, yeah, yeah. But if you uh, break through the dirt, you'll find it. Mmm. There it is. Mmm. Baden, you've struck gold. Mmm. Well, you know, life is a whole long journey. And before you grow too old, don't miss, don't miss the opportunity to strike a little gold. Out west, the folks are pushing you, the way to make them stop is to quickly draw your crunchy bar and fill them full of truck. Apart from being obviously a source of great wealth a hundred and something years ago, 150 years ago from the gold rush, um, the Clutha is just an incredible river to follow. It's a very powerful place. I think the, the name in Māori is Matau, is that yeah, right? Matau. Matau. And we followed it for actually quite some while, past two of its dams. Yeah, we passed the dams at Roxburgh and Clyde and yeah, and you, the Clutha is actually the, um, the New Zealand's largest river. It's not the longest river, that's the Waikato in the North Island, but uh, the Clutha, when you, how much water they ram into it, um, in Cumex, uh, it is the, the largest river. And it's a thing of beauty too. It's got the very um, particular, particular nice blue colour, and I'm sure that's due, like, 
I'm really sure that's due to the sedimentation in the river. Nick's taking the uh, piss out of me for saying this, but he knows nothing about geology like I do. So Baden, if you could explain to me how the fine sediment of the river affects the colour, I'd be grateful. Yeah, sure. Um, so <laughs> what happens is that when a river starts, it's up in the mountains and then it passes all the rocks and it breaks down all the rocks and, um, and then after a while... You're kind of sweating and you look panicky. No, I've got this. I've got this totally in hand. And look, we, we we're running out of time in the podcast to really get into the nitty gritty. But if you want to, um, yeah, the fine sediment. <laughs> Maybe you could post a, a whole separate blog on this topic. Yeah, yeah, I'll copy and paste from the Wikipedia. <laughs> the other thing that was great about following the Clutha was passing through some of the really cute kind of towns that, that they have there. Um, Nick, you experienced Clyde and were quite a fan. Oh, uh, yeah. I, uh, I followed the cycle trails from Alexander to Clyde. And when I got to Clyde, I asked at the bike shop if there was any off-road options because I'm on a mountain bike doing some bike packing. Didn't want to be on the road. Um, if you're ever in the area, do the lookout trail. It takes you above the mountains. It's got fantastic views but more than that Clyde was just such a charming little city um well town I should say but you should really go and spend some time there the bank cafe has these absolutely dreamy little apricot uh apple cakes and they're super nice there's also a little brewery there so if you're not a fan of beer like I am not um you should definitely not go there the other thing is that there's been this incredible fruit everywhere. Um, I mean, we stopped at an amazing fruit stand just not far from Roxborough. Yeah, just out of Roxborough. It was like this cute little hut with lovely French doors. And um, uh, and you could pay. It was an honesty box, but you could pay with your credit card. They had the machine there. You just enter in how much you were taking away out of the stall and uh, pay for it right there and then. It's like honesty FPOS. Honesty FPOS, yeah. Or honesty chip and pin for... Uh, <laughs> our friends in Europe so you don't get that many places and there were something like six different types of plums so central Otago is a very uh, stone fruit area and uh, the apricots which I don't think are in season at the moment but yeah they're right on down on their plums and nectarines and peaches I think at the moment it's pretty damn good stuff and Roxburgh, Roxburgh of course they're famous for Jimmy's pies but we rolled in on a Saturday, and unfortunately, Jimmy's Pies, yeah, you've seen them in the um, bakeries right around the South Island. Oh, they're, they're pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Their mutton pie, mince and cheese, or just plain mince is very good. But devastation struck us. Uh, Jimmy doesn't open on the weekends. He runs such a profitable business that he's like, nah, I'm not coming in on, on Saturday or Sunday or a public holiday. So, yeah, that was the biggest disappointing thing about Roxburgh. Everything else was quite nice, though, wasn't it? Good. And also you were quite the fan of Alexandra. I think, Nick, you said you'd even consider moving there. Yeah, so I rolled in uh, almost dark off the rail trail. Um, quick shout out to the New Zealand Army who fed me the morning that I did the rail trail. Well done, uh, guys. That was pretty awesome. Um, but I rolled in at almost dark and pretty much automatically just wanted to live there. It was like the river's going through and all the trees are changing and everyone's saying hello and like, what do you need? Where are you from? I was, I it just instantly felt at home and uh, I don't know, it was, it's just such a great little spot too. 
you have um, kind of surrounded by these these really rocky mountains, uh, well, hills slash mountains, I don't know, but um, a, a wealth of trails around, everyone's on bikes, and... Uh, There's that clock on the hill. The yeah, clock on yeah. the hill, that's impressive. The thing that let Alexandra down, though, uh, the Courthouse Cafe, very nice, uh, very nice um, cabinet they had with beautiful cakes, but they were really, honestly, taking the mick with the cheese rolls. Um, they was trying to sell these fancy pantsy mozzarella cheese rolls, and they're trying to charge five dollars fifty. I'm sorry, that is against the spirit of cheese rolls. Clyde had you beat though. At Clyde, there was a place selling. I will not mention the name, but they were selling cheese rolls for six dollars a cheese roll. What? I know. <laughs> oh my god, that is. I'm outraged. A cheese roll. Look. Any cafe owners uh, in New Zealand, particularly in Central Otago South, I'm sorry, a cheese roll, two, $2.250 max. It's bread with a bit of cheese rolled in it and hopefully onion. Now, you're going to charge more than that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're going to just ruin the whole tradition of cheese rolls. It's not you're not, what you're not a Southlander, Baden. You can't speak for cheese rolls. Well, <laughs> I think I can, actually. I, when you've eaten as many cheese rolls as I have, no, that that is. I'm going to write a letter to the local paper. I think it's safe to assume that Baden is not a fan of the artisanal cheese roll movement. <laughs> I, know, I, I can go with bloody. I can go with sort of craft beer and stuff like that. But when you get craft cheese rolls, no, 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 no. Right, okay. Another thing that we really, really enjoyed <laughs> our time in Central Otago was spending uh, spending time with a family on a high country sheep farm. Farmer Jack, you've brought us up to this historic mustering hut. When was it uh, constructed? Uh, Two thousand and seven. Yeah, yeah. That's quite old for New Zealand. It is very old, yeah, very old. As you can see by the uh, layout of the structure of the hut, yeah. um, it dates um, back to 2007, yeah, so a lot of historic uh, points. Easy to break in. Uh, absolutely, yeah, very easy, yeah, yeah. That's that's part of the specialty with it, really. Right. You get caught up on the mountain, you need to be here. Right. It's got the crucials in Talk here. Talk us through it, Bay. What's in here? Well, we've got the Jim Beam, we've got the Karuba. Yeah. The little tranny, uh, as in a transistor radio. <laughs> <laughs> Got little, uh, what are these, clay targets? What's that, GSC Recreation? Recreation. Uh, yeah. Looks like there's been a bit of booze drunk in here. So, oh, look, there's bunk beds. Bunk right. beds, That's yeah. Oh, wow, mezzanine. Mezzanine. It's a little loft. So how many of you slept in here at once? Uh, there's been six. I wasn't part of it, and in a lot of countries they call that something else. But um, <laughs> at, at high altitude, it's um, it's just, just survival. good, clean fun. It's survival. Survival, it's right? Survival. Standard lazy boy. Well, yeah, it is standard lazy boy, but it's high altitude lazy boy. Alpine lazy boy, as you look. I could tell by the mitt. Mm. Yeah, and and very very comfortable. Actually, our friend uh, she breastfed off that one there. It's a breastfeeding chair for for her kids, and she donated it kindly to the um to to our uh, society. And since then, it's been abused. Basically, yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's worked out very well. 
But yeah, she she uh, breastfed off that seat, so it's a special seat for people yeah. who come in, and I always remind them it's just. Crazy boy, I think this is uh, circa nineteen eighty four, isn't it? That there, my friend, this one here's out of rest home. What? <laughs> so we, we we cover all demographics and, and g- genres. I, I would I would presume so, and it adds to it. It absolutely yeah, adds yeah. to the character of the thing. Some say it's haunted. I just laugh. Something to suit all tastes here, and we when we stand on the veranda of this uh, historic mustering hut, Great. we can um, we can sort of survey a beautiful landscape stretching out before us. Can you tell us a little about what, about what we can see? What, here? what you can see here in front of us is the um, Clotha Gorge through here, mm-hmm. um, and then we have in the Hawkton Range, furthest range out through there. That's the Hawktons, and we can look right over into the Mania Toto. Okay, right across there, yep. and beyond that, right across out towards there is um, Palmerston through there. So you, you've got a good view of really everywhere. As the crow flies from here, you know, the Remarkables are just behind us over through here. So we're, we're, we're very central. And where's North Island? Uh, you can't see that, lucky enough. It's very cool. <laughs> on a good day, many people say, you, on a good day from up top, you can see Mount Cook yeah. and you can see you can see Stewart Island yeah. if, the, if it works out for you and you, you're holding your, your nose the right way. Yeah. You will see it. Pretty special. How high are we right now? Uh, three and a half thousand. Feet. Feet. Uh, what's that in normal? Don't know. Come on. Do the mass, mate. <laughs> Do the mass. That's what I work out. Do the mass. No, I don't know. Crazy so, kids. Um, Younger than me. You, you've learned a few lessons from me with a lot of experience that I've got in the industry. What What do you What have you taken away from that? Your industry. Well, no, like what I've taught you about sheep farming since since well, I've been, been here last a, couple of days. In the last probably, I think, what would it be now? Maybe 12 hours? Yeah, 12, yeah getting on 12, 14 hours. I would say with, you know, I, I know you're standing right here beside me um, and you're close, absolutely nothing. So it's worked out very good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've, I've liked your feedback. Um, some of the things have been a wee bit personal that I've taken on board and won't share with you. Uh, but I, I, I like to go forward from this yeah. that we can still maintain a relationship, a professional relationship. Probably not in an advisory capacity, but probably more as just don't ever ring me about anything to do with farming again. Well, mate, look, I'm happy to pass you some of my pasture growth forecasts through. I've done a bit of data. I've talked to Ken Ring. Yes. I've, I've got the weather. I've got the moons. Mm-hmm. And uh, look, I'm happy to let you in on some of that information. I could give you the data profile and. And, you know, just give you some advice for crutching as well. It's not easy, I know, especially in the high country. Uh, and pasture growth up here at this altitude too is already stopped. Um, so it's easy to uh, get confused and get and, and mismanage the well, kilo, kilograms of dry matter up at this altitude. Well, that's exactly what um, I was telling you last night, mate. You I were, mean, you were. But I think you were including, there's a lot of cow shit here as well, and you were building that into it, which, I, as I, I stressed several times, that it was not part of the pasture rate. That was actually um, just effluent, and, yeah, and you cannot you, count that. You didn't look at the nitrate uh, profile of that. You know, I, I'd done an intensive thought, study on nitrate leaching in this area and had given you that four-page dossier year that you refused to look at and said no look at mine when I don't like to be samples underneath the microscope last night and there were some microbes I wasn't happy with there's a lot of microbes I'm not happy with that come out of this hut at certain times of the year my friend okay and if you're going to draw straws I said you know like yeah I've just driven you up here and as a guest it's just friendly advice mate I know and I'm just taking it on the chin don't don't get me wrong But it's a long walk, as I said, back down to the road. Yeah, but mate, to the highway. We're all about yields here, you know. I've come through Moa Flat last couple of days, and I've yep. seen some of these purebreds. Yeah. And are you uh, talking about the actual people or the stock? 
just the stock and the purebreds people, yeah. I yeah. mean, you know, apart from a few teeth missing here and there, you know, it's, it's normal. It's to be, you know, you don't have fluoride in your water all the time, yeah, do you? It's, it's rural. It's rural. It's Just it's get rural. used to it. I mean, yeah. It, we, we, yeah, everyone's not the same. But in terms of stock, I've seen some good purebreds. And, you know, if, so there's, there's like Ferndale stock down near Moore Point there, you know. Um, yeah, Mar, Jack. Mar Flat. Yeah, Mo Flat. The Fran Mr. France. Yeah, Mr. France. Jack yeah. and Grace France. Yes, correct. Yeah. And those guys, you know, they, their their slogan is "Born to Yield." Yeah. Born to Yield. Yeah. No. Up here, born to survive. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't survive up here, that's it. It's born to survive. Oh, no. You know what the country's like. Yeah. So yeah. just adapt. Just adapt. Adapt. pretty beautiful up here man oh it's a real special place it really is it's it's fantastic every time i come up here i feel quite privileged to um live in this area and and, and okay we take it for granted all the time and it's just moments like that when like this like we're sharing right now with two people from um the north island who have, have decided to travel around the world on the bikes um to strengthen their relationship that i just un unleash every emotion that's deep down inside me because of the altitude and the, and the friends i'm with right now yeah. it's quite an emotional moment Maybe yeah. we need a bit of silence, really, just to a, just to properly appreciate it, you know. Just a moment. Yeah. Just a moment. Still, still a few fumes coming off your uh, your car yeah. here, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that's what it is? It could be. Yeah. 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 This Pinot Noir is going down quite smoothly, I must say, here at the Cadrona Hotel. And I see you boys are eyeing up the uh, nachos that have just been delivered to a table over there. So, I don't know, maybe maybe we should splash out, I don't know. I don't know, you said that we should just go back to our room and put some marmite on some bread for our dinner. <laughs> I am my father's daughter. Okay, so, we're leaving, uh, we're leaving Otago soon, aren't we? Oh, not quite. We've still got one more night in Otago. Um, and I guess they must call this Northwest Otago. They've got all the Otagos here. You've got North Otago, South Otago, West Otago, Northwest Otago, Central Otago. They really go right around the compass. Um, so we're heading towards the West Coast, though. So we'll be in Northwest Otago and then uh, up the West Coast, Titai Portini. And it's a whole new world, a whole new world of good buggers and... Uh, Kind of guys that uh, you know take it up the guts, rough as guts. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a rugby term for um, when the big you pass the ball to the big fat guy and then he just runs up the middle. That's called taking up the guts. Okay, sounds kind of creepy. Now I'm quite nervous about the West Coast because it's um, a very, very rainy part of New Zealand. Very rough, very wild. So I'm hoping that my legs can take the pressure and that I've got like the mental strength to, to make it through. Um, what can we look forward to, Baden? Like, what are the, what are the highlights going to be? Well, sadly, we're not going to be there during white bait season. Um, yeah, that, that will pose a few problems. Um, but I don't know, fish and chips, more fish and chips, more beer, more bloody get on you, mate. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bit, bit of that sort of action. Uh, oh, glaciers. We're going to see some glaciers. Okay. Uh, what else do they have? Oh, yeah. they. Ha I mean, it's not the right season as well, but they do like to dabble in the old sheep's testicle. So I'm sure you might be sucking a few sheep's testicles out of a scrotum and then um, eating those. <laughs> that, that went in a different direction than I expected. Okay. And, and Nick, where are you going next? This may not be the last time that we see you, right? No, it uh, might not. Um... I'm hoping to actually book it to Christchurch um, to catch 
a friend. Well, a couple friends. Well, we know one of them. Yes, Brian, featured on the last podcast. Uh, Brian and Linda. Uh, they're headed to Australia to do some cycle touring. And so I've only got like 400 plus K to do in like four days, five days. So we'll see if I make it. I'd, I'd like to because they're just both super rad people. But then I might see you guys again yeah. in Christchurch. Yeah. So that would be pretty, pretty awesome as well. God, I like the way you're just like zipping around the South Island just to like see people for a couple of days. Oh, yeah. On your bike as well. I mean, that's how it should be done. Yeah. Most people say, oh, yeah, I'll just drive to Christchurch. No, no, just cycle there. It's, yeah. get, it's doable. Yeah. Just might just have to sleep rough a few nights. Well, I think that's our podcast for now. We're going to wrap it up. Um, thank you very much for listening as always. We'd love to know how you are and where you are. So you can hop on our blog, howareyouwhereareyou.com and post a comment under the podcast if you'd like. There will be photos on the podcast, uh, on the blog that reflect some of the things that we've talked about here. Um, there are also links so you can subscribe to the podcast if you need to. Um, a big thank you as well to some of our wonderful hosts in, in Otago. So we've stayed with Mark and June um, in Gore. We stayed with the lovely Jack and Dee on the sheep farm. Uh, we stayed with Jenny and Kevin in Alexandra. We stayed with, who else have we got? Chris and Jane in Gibston Valley. Oh, Adair and John, Gretchen's parents. Uh, on uh, Shingle Creep Sheep Farm as well and here in the Cadrona Hotel. It, it looks like you want to say something but I never know if you actually do or not. I'm just nodding in agreement <laughs> with everything you're saying and, and nodding just works so well in podcasting, doesn't it? <laughs> Thank you again as always to Callum Campbell who provided all the original music in this podcast. Uh, you can find Callum under Runtime on SoundCloud and you can find Baden online at Baden C on Twitter or Baden Cycling on Instagram. We're, this is our 40th episode. I kind of can't quite believe that. And, of course, a massive thank you to our good friend, Captain Nick Armstrong, for joining us on the podcast yet again and riding all the way over here to share this wonderful Cadrona Hotel experience. Oh, thank you, guys. It was uh, totally worth it. <laughs> Always is. <laughs> is there a shred of doubt there? Oh, no, no. The climbs, the, you know, the bike failures, crying alone on the rail trail. <laughs> Uh, no beer, no chocolate. It was, it was all worth it, I swear. I'm sure we'll see you again on the podcast soon, but until then, bye guys! Hi, Dada!